back to the Coaches Rising podcast. And in this conversation, we're going to be talking with Marita Frijon, who is the CEO, the co-founder of CRR Global. And we're going to be discussing the work that they do. Uh, It's a a systemic coaching school. So we're going to be exploring today what becomes possible when you shift from coaching the individual to coaching the, the team, the systems, the relationships. So we'll talk about some key ideas like, um, for example, uh, relationship systems intelligence. We'll talk about the third entity, what that is, why that's so important. We'll talk about some of the key principles of of uh, the work that they do and um, you know, kind of, kind of go quite far-reaching, ranging. So I hope you enjoy it. As I said, Marita is the CEO, CEO and uh, co-founder of CRR Global. She's been coaching for decades. Has a background in therapy. Is informed by family systems therapy. Uh, worked with Arnie Mindell and many different backgrounds that have kind of um, infused into this work so we're in good hands as usual if you are listening to this and you're not on our mailing list and you want to join our growing community global community of coaches then you can head to coachesrising.com and then just scroll down find the sign up box there you can also check out all the other cool things on our website also i'd be really appreciative if you feel like leaving a review that's helps us kind of build our profile of this podcast. So that all being said, let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Marita Frijon. So Marita, it's great to be with you. And I, I'm in a way, I, I'm like, why did it take me so long to invite you on the podcast? I'm <laughs> laughing about that still, but we're here. So I've, I've, you? Been, I've been sitting in the same frame of mind when I got your a message i was like hmm what have i been chopped liver for the last however many years how come so long it's delightful to be with you again yeah it's been a while. Yeah. yeah yeah and um it, it, i have to say that i'm a little bit late to the game although we you know you've collaborated with coaches rising before yes i'm now uh have this real appetite to learn more about systemic coaching and bring it into my work more so i'm, I'm quite late to the game in a way but so uh, we're going to talk about your work today, and we just had a really nice little check-in, so I'm excited for our conversation. Happy to. Happy to. Yeah. Maybe the best thing to do is, like, let's create a foundation, uh, some, unpack some of the big terms or key ideas from your work, and then, then we can, like, uh, go, go with the flow there. So maybe you could just tell us a bit about the, the principle or the philosophy of your coaching method uh, you know, what, what it is, what is it about? How is it yeah. maybe different from other approaches? Yeah. I think that one of the things that is setting a little bit of a difference is that it is a systemic approach and we are focusing very much on what we call the third entity or the relationship itself. So there's you, there's me, and then there is this, not only the space between us, but we hold that there really is the relationship system itself, our third entity has information about us because we belong actually to it. And it has information that you don't have and I don't have, but it can reflect back to us if we have a direct conversation with the third entity or the relationship itself. It has information for us. So it plays into that systemic principle of when you reveal the system to itself, it has its own answers. So if you and I unpack something and we talk about it and we then go and literally sit in the chair of the relationship itself, it will give us information that we don't have. And we've not done this for two decades across multiple cultures. And I have not encountered a nasty third entity There's always a higher, more neutral stance. The message is not always what we would like to hear. And I've got several examples of those, but there's definitely information there that uh, is not otherwise available to us. So I think that's one of the core concepts. And we also, over the years, 
it got really clear that there are multiple intelligences. We, we know that. So we have, what we've done is we really looked at emotional intelligence, which is me knowing about me while I'm in conversation with you. Very simplistic definition. Social intelligence, both of us being aware of the impact we have and what's happening in the other. We have introduced that third set of intelligences that is about relationship systems intelligence. In that uh, one of the definitions that we can bring to that is that when something happens to one individual, it's not only personal, but it also belongs to the entire relationship system. So you could see how if you came on the call today after something either very exciting happened or something very bad happened, you come on the call and knowing or not, there will be an impact of what you've experienced on our relationship. So there is some fashion of that that also lives over here. So relationship systems intelligence is uh, the basic, we have five principles on that, and that really is the basic principles upon which the work is built and from which it's executed. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, what do you think becomes possible when you, um, you know, when you start to work in this way? You said, you know, you just said that like the system has an intelligence to it or has information. Could you share a bit more about what becomes possible in coaching when you begin to access that? Yes, we're busy with a book um, uh, with the manuscripts almost done on systems inspired leadership. And we interviewed 30 leaders who have done our work and tried to tap into what it is that and how that changed their leadership. One of the things I talked about is that the moment we begin to look in that direction, that I don't have to solve everything and you don't have to solve everything, but that there also is a collective wisdom between us that can reveal some things to us. There's an example that I have in working with an international organization that's involved in the gaming industry as well as in casinos. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's that kind of organization. And there was a merger between two organizations in that field. And we've worked with them over a period of six months on that merger acquisition. And we did a lot of work in person. One of the final sessions and a lot of really good work doing just this, revealing what was happening in every one of the stakeholder systems. Because they had lawyers, they had police people, they had software developers, they had gamers. It really was a very complex system, enterprise. So one of the last sessions we did with them, there were 250 people and we had them in tables of 10 doing work together as we coached them through uh, the final phases of the merger acquisition. And on a, at a table just to the left of me was a group and there were, again, it was the mix because we did the liberty, we, there was a mix of professionals. One of them was a policeman. And he, throughout our work together, he would sort of be the disturber and every now and again would roll his eyes. And so we had a good relationship and I was sort of, every now and again would look at him and go, um, maybe if you wanna take a break because the next piece might be something that you're gonna uh, laugh at us for. So we had that kind of relationship. The Moral of the story is one of the very last activities that we did with them was to ask them to, again, think in terms of what is needed for the different stakeholders and they, we re, uh, revisited the you know, values and all sorts of things. One of the very last things we asked them to do is in silence, imagine that you now are sitting in the chair of this new company name of company, let's just say ABC company. You're sitting in the chair of ABC company. What does it want for the future? What does it want from you? Why does it have you sit here today? Questions like that. And we gave them uh, 
10 minutes to sit and make notes of that and then to debrief with one another. And then we wanted feedback from them. The moment we opened the mic, he was the first person standing up. And I was saying to myself, oh goodness, here we go again. And he took the mic and he looked down and he said, in the six months that we've worked together, I have joked with you. I have done all sorts of things. The last 15 minutes gave me more information about what we're doing and why we're doing it than I have had in two years since this started. It's that kind of thing. I can tell you about situations just at, um, after the start of COVID where people were traumatized, angry. We did sessions with them. And more than once sat down and said, okay, if you sit in the seat of COVID, what does it bring us? What does it know that we need to pay attention to? And had some amazing things come from people. So that's the core piece. So when we coach a team or when a couple or a partnership, the relationship is the client. That's who we relate to. And um, what what's going on there? In because uh, I, I get curious about that. Um, you could say on one hand, yeah, but people are invited into a different level of perspective taking, and therefore they're able to see something different. But it actually sounds, you know, a little bit like they're tapping into a, some level of intelligence, which, you know, we could. I mean. I don't know, like where, where is that? What is that they're tuning into? You know, where is that I think, located? I think that is what we are. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about um, RSI or relation systems intelligence. I do think that there is, if you think systemically, systems cannot, must express themselves through the people or through the parts that occupies it. Through speaking, through constellations, that's what constellations are all about. Even on Zoom, you can see who is relating to who. You can see whose uh, mic is turned off, even if it's not asked to be turned off. You can see who the people are that dominate. So it's different. So one of the, one of the principles of RSI is that every system has its unique identity. Your and my relationship has its unique identity. It's different from any other relationship that we have. And that has information too. So I think that that is part of what we're talking about. And for many, we've done some work with, it's interesting that in the engineering industry, uh, people take it, it's not a difficult thing for them to, to think about. So, oh, yeah, where do I get the ideas from? Um, in the medical field, it becomes very, very clear that there is something beyond what is happening just with the patient and the family. So it's one of the reasons why we are trying to gain empirical evidence by interviewing different people and by finding out what's happening. There's an old uh, Aboriginal saying that says, I thought I was planning and all the while I was blown across the sky by a great wind. That's, some, that's the other piece is if we really believe that we are being dreamt. Was it you, was it me that decided to sit here today or were we dreamt for something bigger than just our own conversation with ourselves? So yeah, it is asking people to cross edges in different directions, but- Yeah, because- I think that might be one of the transitions we're going through it, that, that might help us in these times is particularly in the West, this, you know, um, over the focus on the individual, you know, the, the heroic leader, or uh, I am yes. the one, I am the one that will, you know, yes. save or lead. And actually not all cultures, like you just named the Aboriginal, um, place their primary identity in the as the individual, and so that yeah, we can perhaps we're we're moving into that time where we open up and harness these intelligences more regularly. I, I think you're absolutely right. I do think, and that's one of the reasons why when we interviewed leaders, 
one of the things that they said was when they begin to look there, the conflict level within teams reduced because it was no longer about who's doing what to whom. It is about what's trying to emerge for the system, for us. That's a very different conversation. And leaders were talking about how there was relief that they could have an answer in different ways. They didn't have to come up with all of it. So there's a lot of work around collective intelligence and all of those things. So I think the, the place where we speak slightly differently is that we also are saying that that system itself has an answer and we can ask it for it. Yeah. Um, I like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, this idea that um, the individuals in the team or the stakeholders in the system are, are have a voice and that voice is yes. informed by the system or is, is an aspect of the system. Itself. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And then there's, a, there's an activity that we do uh, all the time that is work with the team and then literally, and we do it online as well, literally have a chair out in front and ask people to go and sit in that chair and that is the chair of their team. What does the team want from them now? Uh, and we tell people when you get, if you get up and start walking to the chair and you know what you're gonna say, go sit down because that's still your voice. It's not the team voice. I can't tell you how many times in the most sophisticated groups of people, somebody would walk up, start walking to the chair, sit down and go, nope, that's me, walk back to the chair and then go and sit in the chair if they really can speak something else. Because it literally is revealing. Uh, and it's no longer me and you that's having a disagreement. When we are asking the system, well, what about these two that are, what do you know about them that we don't? And it comes out with the strangest things. But can you see how it takes it away from uh, who's doing what to whom to what's trying to happen? What's trying to emerge? And that's one of the other principles of RSI is that systems are in a constant state of emergence. Right. That's how systems evolve. For me, in this moment, it may suck. It may not be great, but it is part of an evolution, evolutionary trajectory. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I think I think it's um, quite obvious. We can feel the evolutionary tension. Yes. right now within the yes. systems we live within and where they're outdated and yes you know yes perhaps being metabolized in some way and I, I want to ask you about that um just a little aside i remember when i did an internal family systems in sweet in switzerland once with this incredible group of people but there was like 80 people it's a big one and i remember sitting and watching and going okay i'm just going to watch this and uh you know um even though I was classed as a participant, I'll watch this and I'll just see what happens. Yes. And uh, these two people, like it all started up and these two people walked past me and I just found myself standing up and saying these things. And I was like, what? Every now and then my mind yes. would creep in a little bit and go, what yes. the hell is going on? But then I would start saying these things. I burst into tears and it was a profound experience for me. So I, I have experience of that. Something starts to come through. Thank you for bringing that example because constellations is actually, we have developed different kinds of constellations as well. And corporate constellations is big at the moment also. Constellations is one of the things that access that information. And you can feel it. Uh, so, and that's been, so I'm a family therapist and constellations has its origins in um, family systems therapy and, therapy and Virginia Satie. And it is one of those, and then, you know, it evolved uh, through others as well. But yes, constellations is one of the things where we see it very vividly, that there's information that is spoken that somehow is not mine, but it comes from somewhere else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Two, two questions that stay with me then. One is about, um, well, let me ask this. You mentioned emergence. So uh, is that something that you you are training people to be able to tune into in a sense? Yes. Because I think that's a kind of intelligence too. It's like 
um, that's why you know, even yeah yes go ahead yeah that's why it's a principle of RSI because one of the slogans that uh, we have come up with is that systems are in a constant state of emergence. If you don't pay attention to the signals of emergence, that's when it becomes an emergency. So yes, it really what is. What other signals? Yeah. You know, if you just think in terms of what is happening at the moment. No, let's not go to politics. But if you if, just take the physical body, how many people walk around with small symptoms of different things that's not working well? But they're so busy that they don't pay attention to it. And then the signal, whether it's the knee that's hurting or whether it's a headache or whatever, that signal becomes stronger, but still doing nothing about it until there one day is something that requires a diagnosis and treatment. The question is, if I paid attention to it earlier, would it have been a different trajectory from what it is now when I need to go and do brain surgery or a knee replacement? So the body is a really good example that your symptoms are signals. So what are the signals in your organization and on your team that something is trying to change. Conflict is such a signal. When there is conflict, it is it's signal that something is trying to change. Something is trying to be different. And even though somebody that may not be very skillful is holding the role of expressing that signal, the disturber in the system, disturbance, belongs to all of us. Some people through their profile, just easier to access it and speak it. So it really is that piece. If we then begin to say, if that isn't only John's experience and Mary's experience, but if some part of it belongs to all of us, what's it trying to say? What is trying to happen here? So it's, it's, it really, the body is a really good example of that. And if you think about groups, teams that you belong to, there is something that you know somewhere is not right. But I don't have time to go there, so I continue on. Uh, and if it's not really serious, that signal may not repeat itself. But if it repeats, then pay attention to it. Yeah. And uh, I like that. And so you, you kind of gave an, you alluded to what you would do. You would, but I'm just curious if you could expand on that. So you, in a team, you could sense there was some disturbance. Where would you go with that as a coach? So a lot of the work that we do around stuff like that comes from Ani Mandel's work in process work, process work Institute in um, Portland because he's very strong on signals and he talks about how do you unfold them. And his work is used to be primarily based in the body. I was one of his senior students who worked with him for years. Now, we, if we begin to look at the organization and there is an argument that is repeatedly showing up between uh, the head, uh, the CFO, let's say Joni, and the director of marketing, Mary. So what we see is the fight between Joni and Mary. Joni is saying, no, I don't have the budget. Mary says, we gotta get the stuff out. That actually, if you stop looking at Mary and I can't remember who the other one was that I said, Rosie. Joni. Joni, Joni. Um, it is about their profiles. It is about their personality types that go to them, but it actually is about the systems that they represent. So one of the things we do is what we call lands work. So um, Joni, can you come over here and step, or, um, actually let's first hear from the land of accounting finances. What's going on there? What are you afraid of? What is your biggest frustration? What do you want others to know about what's happening here? Then do the same thing with marketing and then let them switch. So role switch is one of the best ways to go to do it. If somebody is constantly complaining about something, take that person out of that seat and allow others to go and sit in it. 
what is it that you are saying from here? So that's one of the best ways to work with diversity because unless in diversity work, I can begin to take the other side or go and sit in their seat and understand something, I can't navigate it because it also belongs to me. It's just easier for me if you say it. So I'll keep on irritating you until you say it and then I don't have to. But if mm -hmm. I go there, everything that is happening is also, that's the basic definition of RSI. It, it's personal, but it also belongs to everybody. Right. So it really is unfolding what's happening there and then removing those two that primarily are in the tussle, let others visit that space because otherwise it becomes personal yeah. and stays personal. And um, how would you get a sense of, because I, I get that this, this work is emergent, yeah? So that you have a methodology, but you know, at the same time, you, I imagine you don't quite know where you're going to end up because otherwise, you know, you would be using, yeah, some prescribed, so, so there's an, there is an emergent quality. So how do you know when you're, you're kind of like landing in the reconfiguration or the, the new systemic, you know, alignment? Yeah. We are in our work, we are a very tool and skill focused, but from the perspective of those basic principles that if something is emergent, what are the tools that I can use to unfold the emergence? So it could either be doing alignment, uh, uh, alliance work like I've talked about, or do roles, hold those things as roles that belong to the system. Now different people take that role. And if you were to speak from that role, what would you say? Then use sticky notes. So, you know, you could do it on Jamboard, you could, but, but unlock what is behind that stuck place. You can't do it if you keep only the two people who are fighting the stuck place on behalf of all of us. You can't unlock it there because that begins to be a repetitive story and that's mostly linear thinking mind or uh, fight and flight. So it really is important to be able to have experiential work is incredibly valuable in this perspective because experiential work takes us out of thinking mind. It allows us to explore very differently from what we do in a roundtable conversation. So what is the tool that I might use to explore without heightening? That's Arnie Mandel's deep democracy. I might, might hold that as a role that belongs to the system. So who wants to, who else would step into the role of we are doing this wrong, fix it. Go stand in that role, figure it, talk, to, talk what's there. And there is, this is the place where I think we do need to trust that we are being dreamt and that we are being given information. It's then not my job necessarily as a coach to say, okay, based on this and this and this, we're gonna do this and this and this, because then I author it. But when you reveal this to the people that are in the system and ask them, take those sticky notes and let's theme them and let's see what shows up. Or in small groups work with it and how would you address it? What is it that really is up? Anything like that will have them co-author from the information that they just got from a very different place from the ongoing fight uh, or just a difficulty between them. I, I really get excited there because I, I think that's uh, something I'm very passionate about and I see as a very common theme in the field of coaching now, which is um, that we are cultivating our capacity to um, be agents of revelation, you know, that, that actually it's like we're moving out of the era where we applied a process that was quite rational and, and, and um, took someone from A to B. And there was some use in that, but it's, it's now we are expanding our sense of where we source ourselves from yes. to include different types of like embodied intelligence, intuition, and our capacity to be in that emergence. And so that, um, that, 
that we can allow this revelation to take place because that's where the intelligence is. I see that in one-on-one coaching too. The revelation, absolutely, absolutely. And that's why one of the things that we do in one-to-one coaching is we do it in uh, teams and, uh, as, and groups as well. But in one-to-one coaching, it's I think of the work of Cynthia lloyd Dars when she wrote Inside Team based so much on the constellation work that we do uh, in our geography course is make a constellation of all the selves that are most active in you in this conversation. So when I'm thinking about the many books that I never could write, once I sat down and started doing the constellation about all the different voices from me that is in the conversation about writing the book. It wasn't just the one voice that says, no, that's just too much work. Or one voice that says, who do you think you are to write a book? Or there was also voices that said, come on guys, let's get it done. Come on, let's go. So it's the constellation in my own self. If I begin to map that out, I will then be in that choiceful place that if it's not like this, then what would be a better way to work with these different selves and then reconstellate. That's the beauty of constellations. It reveals and then requests a reconstellation that's actionable. So it's those kinds of things. Really the revealing the system is whatever we can do to reveal will begin to provide the answers to what needs to happen or what is trying to emerge. And um, just what do you think about the role of presence in this? Because um, when I hear you speak, uh, internal family systems is something I use in my coaching. I find it very powerful. And, you know, um, they have the notion of self in that, you know. Um, and so what, what do you, how do you, you know, and for those people listening, it's like often parts are in conflict that you've been describing this. They're trying to they're polarizing, they're trying to fix each other. But when you're able to shift to this place of self, which is very compassionate and kind of curious, that can really be with these parts. So I'm just curious for you, like how, yeah, if that's part of your work as well, like that, you know, people are able to uh, be in presence with the parts of a system. Exactly, exactly. Um, And again, then there is the place where until I can see all of them, and until I can give them voice, I can't work with it. Somehow, you know, the example that comes up is I, uh, I have a needle phobia. So when I go to a dentist, it's like, give me all the laughing gas or whatever you have. I don't want to know. I don't want to feel it, you know. Um, so at some stage in my life, when I was training as a hypnotherapist, I ended up combining hypnotherapy with constellation. I did a constellation of who is it that's in the dentist chair? And it was, it was small kids and they were just freaked out. And out of the corner appears one of my, at the time, uh, it was, I had a, 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 an English serviceable terrier female. So my staffy again. Uh, what, uh, an, Eng- uh, an English uh, Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Oh, yeah, got you, got you. Yeah. Staffies. So my staffy female appeared, and I go, and one of the kids in my constellation said, okay, come here, come here, come here, Zigi. I, I want to sit with you. And when I looked at that, I got what needs to happen. When I go to the dentist, it's that kid that is freaking out. I need to have that kid go and watch TV with Zigi. Just send her to go and do something else and I can go to the dentist because it's not my adult self that's freaking out. It's that five, six year old. So we did that piece, I worked for that and it was handled. And then years later, I really years later, I'm sitting in the dentist chair, the dog had already died. Um, I'm sitting in the dentist chair and suddenly I'm aware of the dog's presence. And I immediately went, oh, the six-year-old is here. No, let's get take you home with Zichi to the TV and be there. So that's a really good example of this. There's always selves around. 
that can help mitigate uh, and allow the unskillful ones to not be in the driver's seat. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful well, example. Yeah. 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 Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I had to laugh. Uh, afterwards, my dad was asking, what was that about? So I told him the whole story. He said, I'm going to use that with my, with my patients. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it actually makes me think of um, emergence in terms of positive creative yes. emergence too. So you, you mentioned like one of the ways emergence comes is through uh, conflict, but yeah, I imagine also there is, you know, um, insight or possibility that can be emerging as a sense. There of always, there emergence. always is. Yes. I think there yeah. always is. That's a great point. It was the, one of the things that was so moving for me in working with so many teams and groups during COVID on uh, a virtual was I can't tell you how many times when we did that constellation, um, either the third entity to ask COVID, well, what's the, what is it? What is it that you want us to do? Why are you here? The number of times something came out where COVID would said, say something like, have you seen what is happening to nature? Have you seen the change that there is in smog levels? Uh, those are the things that I am helping you to work with. And I know that every time that I give a client homework, of course, I've got to go and do it myself to walk the talk. And one of my conversations with COVID, I said, okay, is it enough already? Can, it, can you go away now? And it said, no, I think I'm gonna stick around a little bit longer because if I don't, you are not going to sustain the good habits that are being formed right now. So mm. it's that kind of thing. Now, is that a part of me that says that? Probably, I mean, you could talk it down. But there's always, amidst all that is negative and difficult, there is a new emergence. There is something else that's also trying to happen. It serves something. Remember, from a systemic thinking perspective, you and I experience the difficulty in this now. It is my aunt that is dying. And from that perspective, I have to sit in the grieving of that. But it is part of an emerging shift that is happening in the family tree. It is the inevitable and how do we make it a good experience that we can learn from and appreciate. So in the moment, the bad thing of death is awful. It is difficult. But if I can see it from the systemic evolutionary perspective, it goes somewhere. There is something that's coming from it. It's a deepening of relationship to some extent. Mm, yeah, yeah. I can sense that it's um, an expanded sense of self, really, in that, in that, within that, allows for yes. uh, a greater wisdom, perhaps, yes. you know, to be yes. with what's here. And there's yes. a lot of grief around these days, and. Um, you know, if we, well, if I kind of tighten into myself, then it, it, I could just feel fear and the desire to protect. And but actually, you know, hearing you speak now, then it's like it invites me much more into an um, expansive, like allowing, yeah. surrendering, blowing yeah. with the wind, and then thinking, what, well, how can we work together? Well, and again, I think one of the most useful skills that we are using a lot is that of normalizing. An abnormal reaction in an abnormal situation is normal. Of course you feel like that. Of course this is sad. Of course this is bad. I will never forget when I was tra training as a medical social worker decades ago um, at the uh, London Hospital, Kubler-Ross, was there and uh, did some courses with her. And at some stage, somebody was saying, I don't know, there's a very religious person. I don't know how to work with a family of people that are dying when they're so angry. 
because they scream at God and that's not okay. And Kubler-Ross sat for a while and said, they can scream at God, he, she can take it, it's us that can't. So the normalizing of that experience in that moment, uh, that's okay too. So I say to think that people need to be okay with everything all the time, just makes no sense. <laughs> so we do have to have some space and as coaches, some skill tool set with which we can allow people to, as CGI call it going down the tube, as we call it to ventilate, to have the experience. Um, because there's a, a, a term um, that comes from psychology as well. It's called enantiodromia. Enantiodromia means that if something if you remain for long enough and deep enough in some experience, it automatically becomes its opposite. So if I remain in grief for long enough, it will become something else. If I block it, it has a very different effect. And that's where harm comes. So in Antiodromia, really soul guides a lot of what I believe that allow people to go where they need to go. From the Gottman perspective, make sure that you create as much positivity as possible during that time. Um, provide skills and tools that people can be skillful with it without hurt, harming other, all of that. But to go down into the grief or into the anger, um, that's legitimate. Just provide and help people to do it in ways that is not harmful to other. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. And it makes me think about, um, you know, these times we're in and what you feel the call for coaching for coaches is in these times to respond to, to where we're at. Yeah. If, you, if it brings up anything for you. I think that um, really sitting down and doing some work or a lot of work around our own vertical development in terms of uh, my own personal growth, not only as a professional, but as a person, what are the things that I need to work at the moment? What are the things that I see in my client, but versions of that also lives in me? What's my work to do? It starts here as well. So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is given the time that we are in, in our book on creating intelligent teams, we talk, we're talking about the, the iterative process of systemic evolution, that um, there are three phases that we need to pay attention to. There's a phase that is meeting meeting the client where they are, not where I think they should be or think they are because that's where they were last time. Meet the client where they are. That's the first stage. And then I can begin to reveal what's going on, what's bad, what's difficult, what's revealing is that middle phase of any coaching session but I need to leave enough time so that the client can find alignment in terms of what will happen next so that we can create that homework assignment or the coaching challenge or whatever it is for action. So meet, reveal, align, and act to know where I am in that process. That for me is the art of designing a coaching session and being a coach. Um, and at the moment, with the amount of diversity and global challenge, I cannot assume that I know who anybody is and where they are when I meet them. I can't. And, um, you mean the, like because yeah, we're we're you know we're, we've been on Zoom a lot as well, but you know we've got different types of cultures meeting and. Um, also, we don't know what's happening in their lives. Yes, yes. And so are, are you saying like more than ever, we need to spend that time now um, meet, meeting that person where they are? Yeah. Like, yeah, could you say, yeah. 
Yeah, the example that I often use is that if you're thinking about the days when we were sitting down in restaurants to eat, when you walk into the restaurant, somebody greets you. Uh, if you have a reservation, here's the table, have a seat. Waiter will bring you some water just now. Uh, waiter arrives, good evening, how are you? He's not talking menu, or she's not talking menu, just meeting us. Um, you've got some water, are you gonna drink something as well? What can I, that, all of that, until the menu gets put down, is meeting. Yeah. Then the menu gets put down and it goes, it begins to reveal. Uh, some people eat meat, other people stone, some people are keto, other people are, you know, that whole complicated thing in making the decision for what will be served. Because serving then, choosing is aligning and acting. It's a little bit like that. And what, I, what we see in our course rooms at the moment is because we are going virtual, we don't know who is sitting in front of us because from a cultural and cultural intelligence perspective and what's happening in the world, if we have somebody in the course who is from the US, five, six people from the US. So we've got somebody, people who are from the UK and we have people from Africa. The conflict and the dis-ease that is happening in each one of those cultures are very different. Black Lives Matter is the, and uh, systemic racism is the thing in the US at the moment. It has a different face in the UK. It has a different face in Africa. People may experience similar things, but we can't collapse it with what is happening in the US. Or we can't collapse it with what is happening in the UK. It's, so how do we meet those different stakeholders or nested systems where they are? Because part of what we see sometimes is how people show up and it's almost like there is a collective societal trauma from which they come into the course. Right. And, Sorry, yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. I cut you off a bit, so. No, 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 I'm done. Well, go for it. Because um, how would you do that with a team? You know, because, I mean, we're not, are we talking about a check-in? Like, is more than a check-in... You know, could you? Yeah, yeah. becoming uh, more and more creative about check-ins, I think, is it. Um, and and using the check-in not just as an activity to have people feel where they are. It really is when you do a check-in with a team. Notice the themes. Notice what is emerging and use that because check-ins gives us, it's a different form of giving us a consolation. And that's why check-in questions are needing to be creative because you are looking for, if you say to people, uh, let's do a check-in about what the, what's the weather in your land at the moment? And we're not talking about the weather outside. What is in your own experience? What's the weather? That's different from asking people how they feel. They can say, well, kind of stormy, rainy. And then somebody, and if you hear five or six people talking in that direction, and there are two or three people that are talking about it's sunny, uh, I see butterflies around, can you feel how you begin to have a read on the team's emotional field? Because it will be different. It's not the same in any place. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. If you then go back and let them sit with a partner or in a triad or in a quad and ask them to talk together amongst one another about what is it that they feel they're able to can be shared that is contributing to that weather. And they work it out and then come and give us some feedback or can you feel how that meeting gives me something very different from saying, um, 
uh, everybody just from the job and role that you have, uh, give us a short update about uh, what's happening and where you are. Very different information. Mm. So it's those kinds of things. How do we get more creative in not only meeting people where they are so that we know what we are seeing, they know what they're experiencing collectively, but also to give them a moment to sit in that before they can be present to something else. Yeah. Meeting is very sophisticated when you begin to look at it from that perspective. Um, there's a different fact we have to, again, can you feel how we have to think, take them out of thinking mind and allow themselves to experience them? Yeah. Because the other yeah. thing that I, that uh, Zoom taught me is one of the challenges in meeting is how often we have frozen frames. You know, that thing in Zoom where Zoom freezes and then people is like, for <laughs> terrible we tend to have frozen frames of different parts of humanity. Somebody shows up that's black for, for there's a frozen frame. If a policeman shows up, there's a frozen frame. If a minister of religion shows up, there's a, depending on who I am, there's a frozen frame. That's one of the work that we as coaches need to do. Really let people tell you about what your frozen frames are investigate them because that's our work so the meeting is you know your question was what are some of the ways of meeting i think check-in is really good creative check-in really work with that and it's it's aimed in the direction of getting you a better snapshot of who and what is in front of you so that you can meet them where they are yeah yeah um yeah, I, I, I like that, and I um, I just get the sense of perhaps more than ever now we're we're becoming aware again. Maybe we said this earlier on of the interdependent yes systemic yes. nature of our existence. Yes. You know, I think that I think that's yes. one thing the pandemic has has really highlighted now. And um, I do this question bubbles up for me, which is about you know what. What do you find yourself is doing consistently with team coaching? I know you've I know you've said that you've got loads of different tools and um, yeah. methods you can apply, but is there something that you find is at the core of what you you find yourself consistently doing? That's the yeah. in the art of systemic work. Yeah, I think that um, we have given the cultural diversity and what is happening in the world, the, the emergence of so much that is scary from time to time uh, and also good stuff. Uh, I think being aware of my propensity, am I more comfortable at meeting or am I more comfortable at revealing or am I uh, more comfortable at aligning and acting? What is interesting when we, when I do interviews with groups, there is a propensity for coaches to feel more comfortable in meeting. There's a propensity for people that are more of a consultative, mentor-like frame to do less meeting and more revealing. This is, these are huge you know, generalizations. Um, a lot of the time people who are more in the agile field um, are in more in the direction of a line and act. Here's what needs to happen. This is what we need to do in here. So I think uh, it's the other piece is I need to be aware what my preference is. So that's, a, that's become a go-to for me in supervision, in my own work, in mentoring, all of it um, is, is, is get awareness of that. I think from a meeting perspective also, uh, the thing that is most consistently used by everybody that's ever trained with us is creating the design team alliance, is what will have you as a, as a team, while we're doing this work, what will have 
What's the kind of culture that you want to have? What's the atmosphere that you want to have? And takes notes of that. And what is when things get difficult, as they will normalize, what would be, what, how do you want to be together with that? What do you want to use with us, with your, amongst yourself when things get difficult? And at the end of our coaching, or at the end of the session, if things had gone brilliantly, and you do a retrospective look at what is it that we, how is it that you would have been together that made it brilliant? Those are the three kinds of questions around that. Let them design it, let them author it, and then create my coaching agreement with them. What do you want from me? What do you want from us as your coaches? How do you, so designed alliances are more the social contract of how we will work together while we are doing the task. That's different from the who will do what by when. It really is the field in which we will do the work that they have to co-author. So design team alliance is one of the most consistently used and sort of inborn uh, in folks that are doing our kind of work. Um, I think the other two that stands out strongly from a tools perspective, and there are multiple tools for that, is um, for diversity to do anything in the direction of lands work, um, that is put people in different lands. Um, you say, is it land? Land, L as in the geography of a place, yeah. Yeah. Or the culture yeah, gotcha. of a place, yeah, lands. Yeah. So what's happening in your land? And what are the lands that we have? Okay, we've yeah. got... Uh, we've got UK, we've got US, we've got Africa. What's happening in your land? And, you know, that kind of, so lands work. Uh, the lands work between accounting and marketing and sales. Very, yeah. three very different stakeholders with very different goals. It's not the three people that are in a fight. It is the orientation of those three departments. So diversity work by using uh, roles. Uh, what is the role that you play in the organization? Um, what is the inner role that you play? You're always the protector. You're always the, so let the you know, roles. So roles work so that we can begin to understand diversity differently. Um, we've created a coaching version of Mendel's deep democracy work. So that too. Anything that can help us with diversity and anything that can help us with conflict because conflict is the emergent change, the change that's emerging for us wrapped in a dirty little box. We need right. to un uh, open that box and find the gift in it. Yeah, nice, nice. I'm glad you like you. You've been inspired by Ani Mandal. I've loved very his much books. so, very yeah, much so. A, yeah, quite yeah. an incredible guy, isn't he? He is. And then uh, Amy Mandel's Meta Skills, which she talks mm. about. Uh, the name of the book is, I think, it's Meta Skills and the Art of Psychotherapy. But Meta Skills is that thing with which you create. Uh, you and I, you actually are sitting in the Meta Skill of host. That's a way of being. It's a way that you shape and hold what's happening here. Um, meta skills just are, it's the place that creates the atmosphere where things are happening. And uh, we can choose what the meta skills are that we want to have. Mm -hmm. So we, are, we almost always are, are rehearsing what will happen, how will this call be? How will, and very often our rehearsing is negative. So, say more about that. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those things that there's a, I can't remember his name now, but there's a, a, an international hostage negotiator that is talking about when you are negotiating uh, with somebody that has taken anybody hostage, you have to rehearse how you're going to be. You have to be able to relate to the person so if you rehearse, oh, this, this person just should be, the moment we get him, he should be taken down or go to jail or that is not the meta skill or the attitude that you want to bring into your negotiation. 
So rehearse upfront how you want to meet this person who was taken hostage, a nine-year-old girl. You can see that's an, that's an extreme example. Um, but rehearsal, uh, because we always rehearse unconsciously, we anticipate how things are going to go. Well, if you become aware of that and you can shift some of that and you can shift it with metaphors. Right, right. I'm going to check that out. Um, yeah, yeah. Which um, makes me think just as we come towards the end of our time, um, if there, you know, if there is, it, it, I'll let you answer this, which you can take it which whether, whichever way you would like. Uh, if you could speak about what's inspiring you right now in terms of what's, you know, what's emerging in your work and, and, and I'd like tag onto that, then the future of coaching, you know, what's your sense of where we're heading as a profession? I think for me, what is emerging is the, uh, my awareness is about the need to be kind and to be doing things that even in the worst situations, there can be a moment of kindness. And I practice on in my mind on politicians that I vehemently disagree with. But what is it that can help me see that piece of humanity that actually needs kindness? Am I able to do it or practice what I preach? A lot of the time, no. But I'm aware that in, it's, it's almost as if our humanity is triggered, is in a state of... Um, fight or flight. And I just notice how even in the language, how often there's something that is a microaggression or unkindness that slips in. Some of the work that I do at the moment is with, um, in situations where there are lawsuits and legal actions around um, sexual abuse and racism and stuff. and. If I, by the time that these kinds of things get to the law, it's too late. It's already, uh, it's too, then you become set in stone. So I'm looking at what are the things that can help us as a society recognize microaggressions and replace it with kindness um, or acts of service. It's that piece because until and unless we can change that small bit by bit, minimal viable edges it's going to be difficult mm. so it's that piece is how do we how do we do that because that is it's the years of microaggressions it's the years of um using nasty language it's the years of not being kind that sets mm. up the eventual situation that leads to a lawsuit mm. we're going to start further back so i think that's one of the things that's really drawing me in my own conversations, in my own life, watching that, where are the places? Um, so I think it's that, and that's where I have hope for the coaching profession. If I, if I have a high dream, it is that 10, 15 years from now, coaching as a profession may almost be non-existent or look very different because it will be on the street. That's how people will engage and interact. Mm. So... Um, I think it's somewhere in that direction. And then, you know, that's a, a very uh, high dream constellation. But the question then is, what can we do in the meantime to begin to work in that direction? Mm. Um, and I remember years ago when I was still with CTI, there was a lot of question about what's the difference between a coach and a therapist or coaching and therapy. And at some stage, I'm a research geek, so I started looking things up. And one of the oldest definitions of a coach is that from the British earlier days of a uh, horse and buggy and a coach that takes people around. And the definition is a coach is a vehicle that transports a very important person to the destination that they want to go to. That's us. We don't know where they need to go, but we can be a vehicle that help transport them to the place that they need to go to. 
It may be, even be a place that we will never visit. That's okay. It's their destination. So I think that that's a high dream for coaching and I think working against microaggressions in our own lives and those around us and working on bringing kindness is mm. part of the building blocks to pave that way. Yeah. I, I love that um, definition of you know, coaching because it, know, it fits it's really it, well, doesn't yeah. it? That's <laughs> like, just a vehicle. Yeah. An important person as well because the That's people it. in front of us yes. are important. You know? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, um, yeah. So go and uh, transport people to where they want to go. It's not mine to tell them. Yeah. But ours to discover what that destination is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very nice. And I think also that I see perhaps the, the beginning of that journey, you know, of coaching moving into the street where yes. now it's becoming embedded yes. within organizations as, yes. as a style of leadership and a way of being. Exactly. I, I think because if you take the word coach away, it's a, it's a form of consciousness in a sense, you know. That's, you got it. Yes. Um, yes. Merging and proliferating into the world, you know, amongst yeah. others. Yeah. So. Well, and if we think about, you know, building coaching cultures and um, in the work that we do, uh, we often in homework assignments, um, people often uh, go and work with families to practice things on. And when we coach people, they actually take it back to their environments. So that's part of how we can change the world. Yeah, yeah, nice. And I, I think it's important. Where can we find out more about Orsk, your organization, and, and your work? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you go to www.crrglobal.com, um, yeah. that is our official website. And I can think about uh, if there are bits and pieces that you want me uh, to send you that you may want to make available to people about me, Travila, Line and Act or anything like that, I'd be happy to. I don't know whether you're doing that at this time, but anything that I can provide and help with, glad to do. Yeah, great. Now we can add some, we have a page so we can link to any resources on that and okay. be happy to do that. Yeah, so okay. thanks so very much, Marita. I really in, enjoyed our conversation. You're so, you're so welcome. It was a lively and... Uh, very collaborative conversation. Thank you. I really, really appreciate yeah. sitting with you and being here. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well. And I'll see you again next time. Bye.